Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Candice Lepage. Oh, that's it? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> the famous, the infamous Candice Lepage. I don't know if you can be both famous and infamous. That seems, uh, like, that seems like running a gamut. <laughs> Technically, to be infamous, you must also be famous. Yes, the, you get famous, then you get infamous, because infamous is famous uh, turning bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Glad that's sorted. Yeah, some people, to some people I may be a villain, and to some people I may not be. This might actually be very relevant to one of the movies I'm going to be talking about. Ooh, foreshadowing. I like it. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new animated fantasy film Encanto, which you can now stream on Disney Plus. Or if you do not have Disney Plus, you can also rent it on any VOD platform as well. Uh, that will be in the second half of our program for the first half, because we're talking about animated movies for the second week in a row, I might add. Um, we're going to talk about animated movies for the first half of the show. So um, obviously with Disney plus, there's a whole world of like animated things like at your fingertips, but I, I thought it would be interesting. And Candace agreed to try and highlight some of the, let's call them underappreciated animated films out there, because I feel like Encanto uh, might be one of them, or it, it did not, sort of start to gain appreciation until it was dropped on Disney plus, although it came out in theaters first in November. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think this, it's just a testament to the world we live in um, Mm -hmm. where people either love a thing or hate a thing and everybody has to talk about it online. So the average viewer really has no idea. Like, should I bother watching this or shouldn't I? I can't tell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do have that feeling that, um, you know, you kind of get, although again, in in Encanto's case, it's kind of like two chances because they come out theaters and it drops on Disney Plus and then everybody's like, oh, wow, this is a really great film. But uh, I think that is the concerning part. I don't think the question is, is like the theatrical experience going away is like, is there going to be a theatrical experience for as many films as possible. Yeah. And I think part of that is probably because of where we were in the pandemic. Mm. Um, things were, things were looking pretty positive, I think across sort of North America. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, they sort of thought, you know what? People are going back to the theaters. Let's, let's give this a try again. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into some of the underappreciated animated films that we enjoy. Uh, we've each prepared three. So Candice, why don't you start us off uh, wherever you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so uh, I, I did try to go outside of the Disney Plus wheelhouse because there are animated things to watch everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, let's let's be honest. Obviously, Disney is kind of the powerhouse Um, between Disney Originals and uh, Pixar. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, they just have all their um, Foxconn, like so, so much. They own so much Disney Plus. So, so uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, (laughs) two of mine are on Disney Plus. Uh, But uh, let's start first with the one that isn't on Disney. 
and it's uh i'm pretty sure it's a dreamworks and it's mega mind mm-hmm. um so i mean i don't i don't know if it's underappreciated actually i know i feel like it really is i feel like this is a film that people don't really talk about that much mm-hmm. um but i i mean i really enjoyed it when i saw it uh and then i went back to it this week just out of out of interest and cuz we we're sort of trying to think on, you know, things that are underappreciated. And I was like, I really, I really enjoyed that. And I was surprised how much I enjoyed it when I saw it. And uh, I, I, I think it's kind of one of those, I feel like it was maybe a little ahead of its time in some mm. ways, but some of the themes. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, the, the voice of Will Ferrell uh, <laughs> and as a sort of evil mastermind against his, uh, his nemesis voiced by Brad Pitt, which is, it feels pretty out there that Brad Pitt voiced an animated character, Um, Mm. but he was really great in the role. It was really hilarious. Um, And so the very beginning, he actually, you know, Megamind, Will Ferrell's character actually defeats his, his nemesis. And then suddenly he's like, what is my purpose? Uh, And, in some ways, I think, especially over the last couple of years, I think maybe a lot of people might be kind of wondering, like, what what is my purpose? Like all the things we were working towards, you know, that that grind, as everybody mm-hmm. was talking about, you know, we've had like this huge thing where people can sort of look at their lives and go, wow, maybe I can like stop just doing the same thing I always did because I always did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what is uh, another thing that I think is very pointed about this film that is pretty relevant right now is that of course Megamind then decides he's he's the bad guy and so to be the bad guy he has to have a good guy to fight against so decides to create a new good guy and this character is voiced by Jonah Hill (laughs) his name is Titan but not (laughs) T-I-T-A-N it's it's Titan T-I-G-H-T-E-N which is hilarious Um, but uh you know the the new the new good guy he builds turns out to be not such a good guy and uh Jonah Hill does a great job voicing this character and it's just like this subtle creepiness because essentially the the guy is you know he just really wants this one woman the reporter to fall in love with him and so agrees to be like yeah sure I'll be your good guy great and he's going to be a superhero and now he's going to get the girl and within like moments of him realizing that he's not going to get the girl and to be fair even while he was trying to sort of woo her now that he's a superhero <laughs> he he turns evil he's just like why would i ever be a good guy if it wasn't to get get the girl like he's just so entitled yeah you know it's this very typical thing right it's like I'm the good person. Women are just supposed to come to me. He is like the ultimate, just it's, it's just steeped in so much misogyny and entitlement and uh, rape culture and all of this. And it's just like, whoa, that, <laughs> and this film was made in 2010. So it's like 12 years old now. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh my God, it's only gotten worse or it's come back around or I don't know what's going on, but wow, this character is really uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's I, I had not seen Megamind. I was vaguely aware of it. Um, but I mean, that is heavy. And I, I think it's, you know, it's ahead of the time for reasons you stated, but it's also ahead of the time because I think we're probably more primed for sort of deconstructionist superhero stuff now. So maybe it's worth revisiting if people didn't get a chance before. Yeah. An absolute powerhouse of of voice actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the time, this particular film, especially when we stopped having voice actors and we just had Hollywood stars doing all of the voices. And uh, there's mm. basically every single voice is someone you recognize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I think that there's something to be said about that loss of very that that very specific acting talent. I mean, a, a lot of it's still there on TV. Like Brad Pitt isn't doing the 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 dub for the latest Dragon Ball Z, you know, <laughs> series. But um, speaking of uh, things that are kind of outside the norm, uh, if you were like me in your teenage years and watched a lot of late night TV, this is maybe something you might have come across. Um, it's called Wizards. It is. A uh, film from Ralph Bakshi, who is probably most famous for Felix the Cat, the Felix the Cat, the X-rated um, cartoon um, featuring uh, the anthropomorphic cats, and uh, from the I think it's from '68, if I remember correctly. But about ten years after that, he did Wizards, which is this Tolkien-esque tale. And I, oddly enough, he did do it uh, a year before he released the he released the animated Lord of the Rings because he did that as well. So I don't know if this was like a tune-up for <laughs> for Lord of the Rings, or if he was like trying to get the rights to Lord of the Rings and he just said like screw it, I'm going to do my own Lord of the Rings, but with mutants um, and Nazi regalia instead of Mordor and orcs. Um, and then like a little while later, he he was in the middle of making wizards and he found out he was going to do Lord of the Rings. But um, it is fascinating. It is great. It is gritty. It is dirty. Although um, the, you know, the main characters are drawn in this like kind of very, uh, it reminds me of Don Bluth um, animation, his style um, that would sort of come to prominence in the eighties with like big eyes and sort of exaggerated features. It takes place, I think 10 million years in the future where uh, humans have basically destroyed themselves. So all that's left is like the fairy folk and they're living in like the post-apocalyptic ruins, but trying to restore like magic and trying to store life to the world into the world are born to wizards Um Avatar, who's a good wizard, Black Wolf, who's a, obviously uh, <laughs> he was named Black Wolf, so he had one course for his future. Um, Black Wolf lives in this dark area where he's sort of gathered all the the remaining humans who are essentially radioactive mutants. Um, there's a big fight. Uh, there, there's a couple of interesting characters, some elf characters. Um, there's a lot of rotoscope animation, too. Um, which I mean looks kind of cheesy by today's standards, but I I, I think it adds to this sort of like gritty independent kind of uh, feeling that Ralph Bakshi, like Ralph Bakshi, was never going to thrive in the studio system. So um, if, if this was the way he put out movies, that was it. And yeah, Black Wolf uh, famously adopts some Nazi iconography to lead the mutants to take over um, the magical realms. And like one of the main characters is like an evil robot who is 
like sent to assassinate the president of the fairy folk and then um avatar puts a magic spell on him to make him a good robot and he's like riding this like hairless ostrich thing through most of the movie it is just like it is so bizarre um no i mean i think it was initially released by fox this will never be released by fox now but <laughs> or even re-release for that matter so um fortunately wizard is on on vod and if you want to um i don't know if you want to green out to something this is this is probably as good as anything <laughs> Because I know you do that so often, Adam. <laughs> I know, but it's just it's like one of these weird relics of like late night TV where they would throw it on at two o'clock in the morning for insomniacs and you'd be barely awake. And but your your world would be rocked. And that's what happened to me is like I was it was just came on TV one night. It's like this is so weird and crazy and like Nazi wizards. <laughs> why don't we why aren't there 10 of these? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> All right, let's get to your number two. <laughs> All right. Um, and so I just uh, uh, want want to note, because we've actually both done it uh, today, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's something I've I have just sort of realized. We've both both made mention of Fox mm-hmm. Studio. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important to note that Fox the Studio doesn't exist anymore as named, uh, you know, under the name Fox. That's true. Uh, it's actually 20th century. 20th century uh, studios. Yeah. It used to be Fox, then 20th century Fox, and then Disney bought it and has totally sort of removed the Fox name from it. So I wonder if we'll ever stop calling it Fox and just call it 20th Century Studios. If, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it also depends sort of how long Disney keeps along that particular brand, if they're not just sort of using it to burn off stuff that they that was sort of in motion before um, before the the merger like once they kind of like release everything it'll just kind of go away but yeah that's that's a debate for another time yeah um okay so my next one um well you know it's not a list with candace Mm -hmm. if she doesn't cheat and uh add something so rather than a film this is a a series um and uh you know it's it's possible it's not really that underrated i certainly know that uh, probably with people our age, uh, mm. it's very highly rated, but I think that it really needs to be opened up to uh, to more people. And that's Gargoyles, the series. Mm-hmm. So um, you can bet when I got Disney Plus for the first time, I immediately loaded up Gargoyles, the series, uh, as much Muppets content as I could find and <laughs> um, return, uh, uh, you know, escape from Witch Mountain and return to Witch Mountain. Those were my like, number one priorities when I got Disney plus. So Gargoyles, the series, um, I think, you know, is just as good today as it was in the nineties when it was released. I think you could, you know, just introduce this to audiences now to, to young kids and they would, they would appreciate it as much as we did when it, when it aired. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know that anybody really <laughs> doesn't know the, the, the Gargoyle storyline, but, Essentially, these these uh, gargoyles, you know, mythical figures who who uh, guard a castle, um, come to life at night and turn to stone during the day. And this, uh, you know, castle that that they were there on, they all end up being bought by uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes voiced, um, not so much evil mastermind, but definitely sketchy mastermind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he yeah. looks suspiciously like Jonathan Frank. So I don't know if that was like an intentional thing that they did. Yeah. Yeah. He really does. Um, and so, you know, this is just like, it's this great sort of story, like a little fish out of water, because of course these gargoyles, it's like, you know, a thousand years in the future and they need to, you know, they're in Manhattan now. Um, and so they need to sort of learn all these new things. Um, there's of course the, uh, the, the plucky detective who becomes friends with all of them. Mm. Um, and, you know, we get to, to watch kind of the, you know, the trying to be good while, while also having this, you know, sort of bad guy, um, uh, Xanatos is his name as their kind of, you know, their, their, um, patron essentially, um, this show also like, you know, totally introduced me to Macbeth. Yes. Macbeth (laughs) was a recurring villain. Yes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Like they do a great job of, you know, introducing kids to Shakespeare and actually like, cause Macbeth is, and a lot of Shakespeare really is very good drama or a comedy or a tragedy. And, you know, it just needs to sort of be retold in a way that people can understand it. And so Gargoyles does a great job mm-hmm. of, of really getting, you know, people involved in this, in, in the Macbeth story. Mm-hmm. Also the voice actors, you know, uh, at the time and probably still, of course, with people, people our age, uh, everybody loved this show because the voice, a lot of the voice actors came from Star Trek, the next generation. So mm-hmm. Xanatos, Jonathan Frakes, as we said, um, one of the gargoyles, Demona, mm-hmm. interestingly, also the only woman gargoyle, mm-hmm. um, but she's uh, voiced by Marina Sirtis, who is Counselor Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, Michael Dorn comes in in the second season to voice some characters as well. Yes. Um, so and Brett Spiner was the was Puck. Ah. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So um, it's just it's of, a, a great... of a Midsummer Night's Dream fame. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, sticking with the with the Shakespeare. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I strongly think like this show. If if you have kids and you're our age and you haven't like gotten them watching Gargoyles yet, you should definitely definitely do that. It's mm-hmm. and I think it's also important to note. Um, the you know we talk now a lot about about diversity and that sort of stuff mm. and the um plucky detective who is friends with all of the the uh gargoyles is a a latina woman mm-hmm. in the story mm-hmm. you know and so there's there is a little nice you know they did they did what they could there at the time to try to make sure that you know, downtown Manhattan actually yeah. is kind of represented by a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um, also to note, Keith David uh, voices the main character of Goliath. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, he may make another appearance on my list. Okay. <laughs> Good tease. Actually, there uh, are a lot of um, Star Trek people, not just next gen. I mean, even like people who are like in and out, like, w morgan shepherd um okay uh my second pick is monster house which is from gil keenan uh it is a story about a haunted house um 
that is literally alive. It is possessed by the spirit of uh, the, the creepy old man in the neighborhood. Um, it's, it not it's not possessed by the spirit of the old man. His name is uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, which is a great name. <laughs> but it's possessed by the spirit of his wife, as you learn in the course of the film. And the kids, the neighborhood kids, kind of help him come to terms with essentially this monster he created. And and the the film doesn't shy away. Just like what a gloriously horrible death his wife had um that resulted in her sort of like taking possession of the house and how mr nebercracker um eventually feels uh trapped by it um and so it's a great lesson about how you know don't judge a book by its cover you don't know someone's story until you kind of live it which may be lessons that come in handy later um it's got great atmosphere it's got the great sort of like spielberg amblin 80s five it's very goonies is very much an influence poltergeist is very much an influence steven spielberg was an executive producer so that probably helps having access to that database of of knowledge and i mean it's also great it's a great example of sort of what gil keenan was capable of he did monster house and then he did a live action movie called city of ember which is such a great kids movie um, also with timely messages um, that kind of got buried in the mid aughts. Um, and now, you know, Gil Keenan's kind of stuck doing Ghostbusters afterlife, which I think is basically kind of like a hollow version of a lot of the themes he's dealing with in monster house. Monster house is a much better version of whatever they were trying to do with Ghostbusters afterlife. And I say that being someone who's only seen the trailers for Ghostbusters afterlife. So um Check out Monster House instead. It is on the Netflix, so it is super easy to find. And just um, uh, enjoy that. It is a great rousing kids adventure that doesn't pull any punches either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely remember um, enjoying it when I watched it, but it was so long ago. I have very little sort of memory of it. So I should uh, I'll definitely revisit that one. All right, then why don't you visit for us your uh, your last pick? Yes, my last one is. Another Disney Plus, and uh, it's it's one of the sort of Disney original animated, uh, mm-hmm. which may seem like, well, that's not underrated, uh, <laughs> but I think it really is. So it's The Princess and the Frog, mm-hmm. which um, came out, what year did this one come out? Oh, um, nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. So what's, I think, I think this film is really important in, in Disney's sort of canon and in their their history and storyline mm-hmm. you know we're going to talk about Encanto in a, in a second but I think the princess and the frog um, at the time for sure like it was a big news story that this was uh, a, an animated you know princess story about a black character mm-hmm. um, and in sort of a black culture because it's um, uh, Tiana and she's in New Orleans and she wants to uh, you know open up her her own restaurant um mm-hmm. and so it was a really it was it was this was sort of the first time a lot of people you know complained because they're like oh we're just erasing jasmine but jasmine wasn't the lead of her story no she was she was in aladdin's story um and so this was definitely the first time they they did this with one of their big features and um you know the entire cast really uh is is primarily all uh, black actors um mm-hmm. which you know I, I think is also important 
and what's really interesting about this is that you can really see this, like this is a clear sort of delineation point from where they were, which was princesses who fall in love. And mm -hmm. to be fair, like that is ultimately this film's story, right? He, she's the princess and the frog and the frog is a prince, Prince Naveen, who also um, is from a, a fake place, but it's definitely drawn to look like a, like a South Asian of, of some type, like some mm -hmm. sort of um, Arabic country. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he turns into a frog, so he's, you know, who knows? <laughs> Similarly to Tiana, she also turns into a frog. So it's hard to say in some ways, like when they're frogs, are they still a black and a, you know, South Asian character? Hard to say, <laughs> but um, they, they both turn into frogs and ultimately, you know, they have to find love and, and, you know, kiss to become human again and to get their their stuff again so it is still it does still follow that sort of tropey mm -hmm. you know you got to fall in love to to get what you want mm -hmm. but um you know that's that's not tiana's only sort of thing right like mm -hmm. her getting her own restaurant is really what's driving her mm -hmm. and so you know we see this beginning you know they're beginning to shift away from that love storyline princess and prince storyline and moving into places where we're integrating real culture right this was set in new orleans um it's full of uh jazz music it's full of the culture of of new orleans right and they go out to the bayou and it's all about the food and uh, all that sort of stuff you know mm -hmm. they even sort of do have um uh, tiana's you know best friend is uh you know the typical like white New Orleans belle of the ball <laughs> and you know we're introduced to her and she's dressed exactly like Cinderella she's basically dressed like Cinderella throughout the entire film mm -hmm. and it's very clear that they're making like a, a sincere point like you know this white woman there's not she's not bad but no. clearly she gets everything she wants because yeah. she's she's the white girl and Tiana her sort of best friend who is basically her servant's daughter, right? Like they're uh, Tiana's mom is the seamstress. Mm. You know, they're friends, but it's like totally different culture, totally different class. You know, she thinks Tiana should be happy enough with what she has because that's what she has. But you know, Lottie as the as the white belle should get everything that she wants. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, they really start to to sort of move into this, like, we're actually going to address, you know, a little bit more real things. Um, Tiana is going to want more than just to fall in love with a boy. In fact, like most of the film, it's all about her not wanting to do that because she wants this restaurant. Um, and what the other thing that's really, really nice and stands out about this film is that it's that. It, it goes back to that like old school cell animation style, mm -hmm. right? It looks like as soon as it starts, you're just like, whoa, this looks like a movie I watched in the like 70s or 80s or 50s <laughs> or 30s for that matter, yeah. um, because it goes back to that style of animation after so many years of, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast and the, you know, Aladdin and Mermaid and all of those films, all with the computer, like the digital graphics. Mm -hmm. This goes back to that original style, which is just really nice. It it it's like a nice palate cleanser. 
Yes, that was sadly never repeated because they've not gone back to that since. But you're right. There is a definite uh, change or or shift after that because then you get Tangled and then you get uh, Vanellope of Wreck-It Ralph. You get Frozen. You get Judy Hopps in Zootopia. You get Moana. um, And then you get Rhea and the Last Dragon. Now you get Encanto. So there's, there's definitely been a change in the last 10 years. Yeah. And uh, Keith David, of course, is yes. in this film as, yes, as the, uh, the voodoo man. And don't get me wrong. There are some seriously uh, um, difficult uh, cliches, some, some black characters who are, are drawn mm-hmm. to stereotypes, but we got to start somewhere. And, s- <laughs> and Disney did. They started, they started with princess and the frog. <laughs> Well, it's a long way from the crows and Dumbo. That's to be <sighs> sure. Um, for my last pick, I also chose something from Disney Plus. It's a Disney animated film, Treasure Planet, which came out in 2002. Um, in respecting everything you just said about the Princess of the Frog, Treasure Planet was the last time Disney really tried to get creative with an animated film from like a technical standpoint. Um, Treasure Planet is, you know, it's, the treasure island story and except uh, you know long john silver is a cyborg and there are other changes because it takes place in space although they're on spaceships that look like wood sailing ships but um just about every scene every every shot is just so beautiful it it kind of seamlessly combines i i, I know that you just basically <laughs> talked about how it's kind of verboten but you know the combination of 3d graphics with the cell animation um it really comes together here it is so beautiful to watch every shot is wonderfully composed um it could be a series of uh, like old collector cards you kind of open the binder and they're in the plastic pages and every every one is a work of art um even the johnny resnick song at the end it's uh it's not bad it's uh it's it's kind of a typical goo goo dolls kind of song but i mean it's also it's also not uh it's also probably one of the best uh of the, of that particular uh genre but um it, it's very enjoyable it's a great rousing adventure um and unfortunately it also bombed at the box office and then we get Brother Bear and Home on the Range, and then it's all computers all the time, with the exception of the Princess and the Frog. And I don't know; it's just it's it's a it's a beautiful relic that I mm-hmm. I, I hold on to. Anyway, <laughs> we'll have to talk about the new uh, coming up next, and we're going to take that break and then come back with Encanto. Uh, and that review you're listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, medicine go down, medicine go down, just a spoonful of sugar.
honeybees that fetch the nectar from the flowers to the cone. They never tire. <laughs> what is going on? Abuela, it's okay. Everything's. We're gonna save the miracle. The magic. What are you talking about? Look at our home. Look at your sister. Please, just. Isabella wasn't happy and of she- Of course didn't... she isn't happy. You ruined her proposal. No, no, she needed me to ruin her proposal and then we did all this <sighs> and the candle burned brighter and the cracks. Mirabel. That's why I'm in the vision. I'm saving the miracle. You have to stop, Mirabel. The cracks started with you. Bruno left because of you. Luisa's losing her powers. Isabella's out of control because of you. I don't know why you weren't given a gift, but it is not an excuse for you to hurt this family. So that was a clip from Encanto. It is the new film from Jared Bush and Byron Howard, and it features the voice talents of Stephanie Patrice, Maria Cecilia Botero, John Leguizamo, Jesse Darrow, Diane Guerrero, and Wilmer Valderrama. <laughs> hey. Sorry. You can laugh at Wilder von Bolorama, but he's carved a very nice niche for himself in NCIS. I'm just saying. All right. I mean, I, I have no problem with Vilmer. It's just it feels like, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've heard his name. All right. Fair enough. Um, so, Candice, he wanted to dip into Encanto. So why don't you tell us about uh, the Encanto experience from your point of view? Uh, yeah, for sure. I felt, you know, um, it's it's been a while uh, honestly since i've watched kind of a new um uh disney or pixar or a dreamworks film um i i guess i don't know i don't watch as much animation as i as i used to or i feel like as i should um <laughs> you know when you're just you're on like a kick with horror films and then suddenly throwing in an animated one it feels a little weird um but yeah so you know i've missed coco i missed soul i just i haven't seen all of these films that have been coming out that people are really raving about and so i decided people have been talking a lot about encanto mm. um uh and not only have people been talking a lot about encanto but i see that people are talking a lot about encanto because they have subtle comments about bruno mm -hmm. in their in their feeds right mm -hmm. like just out of nowhere there's like i see an instagram photo of someone and there's actually a little poster behind them that says we don't talk about bruno and now it's like <laughs> <laughs> all right i i'm i'm gonna do it this is clearly for whatever reason this film has become part of the sort of social media um pop culture discourse more than more than some of the other ones i've i felt like so mm -hmm. um i felt like i wanted to watch it plus you know i i do have a thing for lynn Man Manuel, but oh my god i can't it's uh you have such a big thing you can't even say his name Ryan. i i know I know. I'll blame it on last night's uh, scotch tasting. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yes. So Lin Manuel Miranda and his music. Uh, clearly, clearly, I've I've had a lot to say about it when we watched In the Heights, and then of course uh, he directed Tick Tick Boom. So those were both very popular films for me last year, and uh, he did all the music for this one. Um, so mm -hmm. felt and like I, I should get in got a story writing credit as well so um yeah uh the thing with uh, we don't talk about bruno um 
which there's actually a whole variety article about why that will not be up for best song at the Oscars, which is a pretty big miss because one of the things that put Encanto on my radar is that fact that that song is like number one or has been number one in the UK and in the US billboard, which um, for a movie song that feels kind of rare that doesn't really happen as much anymore yeah. that uh, a song from a movie has uh, a bigger cultural impact perhaps in the movie itself. And interestingly, I don't actually, it's not my favorite song in the film, the film in the, yeah, yeah. That's the way I said. Mm, yeah, no, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so sure either. I guess it's a fun song because um, it it's catchy. To- it's easy to sing along to. Right. I mean, I think that's it, too. That's because a lot of comparisons have been made to Let It Go, which I don't think is a great song, but you can it certainly sticks in your head. Um, but yeah, I, I also think it, it for people who've seen the film, it's part of this build up to the reveal of Uncle Bruno, who is the, a member of the family who has the power of prophecy and has is, is not kind of part of the family is kind of set apart. And as the, the main character, uh, Mirabelle kind of goes on her journey and she's steered towards Uncle Bruno as someone who can answer her questions about the magic in the family. And then I will say this with the buildup to Uncle Bruno and his weirdo tower in the house and um, this, the whole song about him, his appearance does not disappoint. No, I, I agree. He is great. Um, and uh, John Leguizamo uh, voices Bruno. And yes. it's it's just... It's perfect. I mean, John Leguizamo has the, the right amount of kooky, like, yes. <laughs> he he could do anything right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can do straight and, he, you know, he but he can also do like, I feel like this is not as crazy as he could have gotten with this. He feels reined in to a certain extent, which is suits me because I think Bruno hits just the right notes of I've been living it by myself in the walls of this house for too long but at the same time he you you are you do feel the love he still has for the family and his dedication to them and um uh, there, there's a, a general warmth as well which is sometimes missing when I'm, when you have a character who's like kooky on purpose like the character mm-hmm. exists to kind of be the kooky character um, so they don't end up feeling like a real person, but Bruno still feels like a real person in the course of the film. And and Leguizamo, a lot of that is in how Leguizamo performs him. It's um, it's 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 a fine it's a fine balancing act he does. But um, uh, you know, Bruno's Bruno's cultural status, I think, is well earned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just sort of talking about the characters a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's interesting. So uh, the 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 family, the Madrigal family, sort of starts with the matriarch, um, Abuela uh, Alma, and mm-hmm. you know she's got her three kids, Bruno and um, uh, gosh, what are it's uh, Peppa and yeah. uh, Julieta, right? Are the yeah, the, yeah. they're the so, triplets, yeah, yeah, and then they have their sort of kids or family or whatever. But so the matriarch is Abuela. I um, I was really surprised by the end mm-hmm. that my feelings towards her had changed mm-hmm. because she is very she's very easy to dislike throughout 
the mm-hmm. the um, earlier parts of the film. Um, she makes a lot of what I think are really serious mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I even still, and it's, you know, it's interesting because even while rewatching it a little bit this morning, because I watched it last night and I watched a little bit this morning, even though I know, you know, towards the end that my feelings towards her change as she sort of realizes some of her mistakes, as I'm watching her, her be so cold to Mirabelle and so mean, mm. I'm just like, oh my goodness, this, she is so wrong. And, um, <laughs> Uh, Mirabelle's uh, mother, Julieta, mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, if I was Mirabelle's mother, I would have a lot to say <laughs> to this woman about how she's treating my daughter because, um, yeah, they did they did a really great job of that. Like I'm really I'm still really surprised by how how much I changed throughout the film in my mm-hmm. in my feelings towards her. Yeah, and Lin Lin Manuel Miranda very clearly has, um, I I guess, a a soft spot for this idea of matriarchal wisdom and sacrifice, um, because that was part of In the Heights as well. Uh, In this case, he kind of turns it, and and the filmmakers as well, um, turn it on its head a little um, by saying, well, can you go sort of too far? And uh, because uh Mirabelle does not have she's the one fam- member of the family who comes of age and doesn't get a power um a magical power um she's you know they're looking at her and like well what's wrong with you and it's not an intentional thing like she's not picked on by the others for it it's just like it's not quite right it's not how it's supposed to be and it, it's a great sort of insight into sort of how people treat each other where you kind of otherize people without necessarily otherizing them, mm-hmm. um, especially in families, you know, if you, you, you didn't turn out the way your siblings turned out in, this, in all of this, yeah. but then it also couches that with um, the Isabella character who is, you know, a pro- like essentially the Disney princess and all of this, like flowers literally grow out of the air around her. Um, and presenting her it's like well i you know she's expected to be perfect and she feels this expectation to be perfect and she feels this expectation that she has to marry the the local doofus because he's from a good family <laughs> um and because that's what she's expected to do and and there's an entire and i think that's my favorite sequence is um that mirabelle and isabel sort of reconciliation where um mirabelle awakens this air of imperfection in Isabel where she wants to be messy and she she doesn't want to be exact and she accidentally grows a cactus <laughs> and uh, you know the, it's the movie does all these wonderful things where it explores these sort of like interesting inconsistencies and imperfections in the family that things that make a family and it doesn't um make those obstacles to be overcome and makes them aspects that you have to embrace in order to hold on to the things you, you haven't had. Essentially the whole plot of the film is you have to tear it apart to rebuild it back together again, which Hmm. is, is fascinating. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I just, I like there's, so Abuela has like legitimate fear, which is is what happens, right? Like, and she places all of her fear onto Mirabelle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but because she's placing all of her fear onto Mirabelle, she's also then, you know, this is what happens with Isabella, right? Where Isabella's like, I don't necessarily like my gift or want to be this person, but mm-hmm. I have to be. And um, uh, Louisa, Mirabelle's other sister, has a similar thing, right? It's like, I don't, yes, I don't want, like, she just puts that all up there. And that's actually my favorite song from the movie, the one that Louisa does. Um, yes, that's uh, a good Surface one Pressure. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, what happens is that instead of having to find out who they are, they're sort of told who they are and then expected to act that way the whole time, all because Abuela has like legitimate fear about this magic mm-hmm. going away. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine, you know, if I was actually in the film to like <laughs> what it would have been like for this first child of so many, right? Like there's three kids and then um, two Mirabelle's two older sisters plus the two cousins. So seven children, essentially, mm-hmm. all getting a door and a uh, and Bruno, I guess. So eight, eight, eight people all getting this door and this special power. And then suddenly it comes to Mirabelle's turn and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why there would be like a legitimate fear. Like, is that it? Is it like eight, eight and done? And like, it's never yeah. going to happen anymore. Or, you know, is this just, what is this? And so of course, wanting to believe that it's not that the magic is going away. You blame Mirabelle for it without even doing that purposely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting to see, like, I'm just, I'm so intrigued by the character of Abuela, really, honestly, <laughs> because when Mirabelle's youngest cousin, so the next person in, in line to get their power, Antonio, when it comes his turn to get the power, mm-hmm. you know, Abuela is with him and she's like calming all these fears and everything. And I'm like, she's so good at this. Mm -hmm. but she only knows how to do it she only knows how to build up the kids who are going to have power she has no idea how to build up mirabelle she just like Mm -hmm. and then it turns out mirabelle of course is the one to build up everybody else because you know they don't necessarily want their powers or want to be known only by their powers and mirabelle gets to be whatever she wants to be and they all have to be what they're told to be and of course, a lot of this too is born in, and the film does a really good job being a G or PG sort of portraying the trauma of war and mm-hmm. sort of uh, you you learn later and there's a whole song around it uh, about how Abuela met her husband and they fell in love and they settled down and they had the triplets. And then I think it's the thousand day war. Um that you know that starts that was around the turn of the century in south america and um you know they have to go on the run and they're like they're literally being pursued and the her husband sacrifices himself and um it's not bloody but it is uh it is traumatic it is upsetting yeah yeah. and it's kind of the (laughs) disney tapping into that vein of of um you, you know you can traumatize the kids a little a little to <laughs> to sort of uh, just sell how bad things can be and and through through there there is a reconciliation between Mirabelle and her grandmother to to understand where each is coming from but i mean it's that that's a real gift of storytelling to be able to not just see the story through the eyes of the heroine but you know to see the not that abuela is an antagonist but 
she is kind of an antagonist, she's not, not a villain, but an antagonist to the story as well, that you can see it through both their eyes. And then, then they can come together at the end and, um, and solve the family. It is interesting that it's a Disney movie and there's kind of no outside agitator. It's all kind of an, an internal family struggle. There's no one that's trying to steal their power or, mm-hmm. um, or anything like that. It's, it's entirely internal. Well, and really, um, in in most of our lives, we don't have nemeses. That's right. Right? We're, we <laughs> generally, we as a person, either we are our own worst enemy, we're the one who's constantly telling ourselves we're not good enough, which in a way, Mirabelle is, is that. S- similar to Bruno, right? Bruno kind of, you know, is his own uh, yeah. enemy. But, yeah. but then also, you know, the the people around you who are supposed to make you feel safe and make you feel loved and make you feel welcome. Those are the people who are most at risk of being the ones who hurt us Mm -hmm. and, and without, you know, meaning to, which is really, we all, we all have that, you know, even, even the perfect family life, there's always, you know, an argument or something. There's always something like we've all, we've all had this experience magic or no. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're talking about some serious stuff in the movie and there is serious stuff in it, but I mean, it's, it's also, um, it's also really funny in places. Um, Mirabelle discovers Bruno's last vision and she, uh, she's telling her father, her father kind of walks in on her. as She's literally putting the pieces together and um, he's like, okay, okay. We, we'll deal with this after there's this whole big family dinner where the the doofus is going to propose to Isabella, but um, he's like, we're going to keep this on the download basically. And the door gently swings open and who's like standing across the hall, but it's the sister who has superhero. <laughs> yeah. Dolores, the, the cousin, I think she's probably my favorite character yeah, out a, of all of them. She's a lot of fun. And um and then the, there's the whole dinner scene after that where Mirabelle is watching as the family members whisper in each other ear in each other's ear what the big secret is all up and down the table and it, there, there's a lot of really great comedic timing there and um, yeah it, a lot of it is is surprisingly it, it's funny but it's heartfelt it's it's not mean but I mean there are some really great laughs in this and uh yeah, there's also a really just like a beautiful celebration of culture too, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the costumes and, um, you know, the the house itself, uh, mm-hmm. is is magical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's all decorated for this this big, you know, Antonio's um power to be revealed, and it's just like it's just beautiful in so many colors, and um, yeah, they do such a like a really great job of just making it look like a world you want to live in yeah and, and the house i like that the house was a character without making it like over the top like the, the house has a personality but it's it's not it, it's not like an overbearing it's not like, treated like a character even though it is a character and i like the the technical stuff on the animation too like like the the texture of the rock and of the brick and of the the tiles um really comes together and they're they're the scene where abuela finds mirabelle by the river um i did take note of the water water is always the linchpin with these computer animated movies Mm -hmm. what like the the realness of the water is where the cg goes to die basically it's the (laughs) it's the 
it's kind of like the last thing to crack and and the water looked amazing um so yeah that just technically it's a it's a really well-made film just from from top to bottom yeah i was i was really floored actually by the the um computer animation so like i said Mm. i haven't seen a lot of the more recent ones so i'm not Mm. sure um if this is like leaps and bounds better than you know, things that came out just last year or the year before, um, because I haven't seen that much, but I was just like immediately um, just amazed at how good the, the graphics have become. So how much um, uh, to get really nerdy, how much like depth of field (laughs) there was like in each frame, like, you know, this is not a flat, like screen, like the, the characters in it are in different, places like in the foreground and the background and side and and I can tell that there's like so much like space in between these characters who are all just drawn there like they're not <laughs> there is no space mm-hmm. but they they've managed to make this incredible like depth of field like that and then just the the um the motions in their face is so I mean their faces are are still very like animated looking obviously they're not trying to look like humans like yeah. some of the um more difficult uh films that are doing like motion capture like they're still animated faces but you know everything everything moves in such a like fluid manner and the colors and the the shadows on their faces i was really really impressed i mean mm. i remember um when i saw monsters inc that was the first time that i was really floored by the quality of computer graphics with the way that um I think it's Sully's fur. Yeah. You know, the way it moved. I was just like, whoa, this is like, <laughs> this is <laughs> so incredible. And that's how I felt watching this. Again, could be because I haven't watched anything in the last few years. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of jumped all of a sudden in quality from, from one to the other for me. But no, no, there, there is, um, there, there is a market in, increase in the quality just even from luca last year which is pixar which is different department but same studio but yeah it, they, they are getting more and more technically savvy and i i wouldn't have mind seeing this in a 3d theater because i think that that may be one of the rare times i i feel like maybe the 3d could have heightened what's on screen beyond but um maybe i just have theater on the brain because um they, they reopened this week but <laughs> Yes, I, I may be looking forward to going to see Scream soon. That's right. Uh, that is a different show altogether. So we will have to wrap up this one. If you like End Credits, you can listen to it again. You can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can also download the playlist for the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in Spotify. You can find us on social media at Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candice, where can people locate you on the internet? I am available everywhere on the internet at Sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. I've been telling you every week I've been here that you should be following me on Letterboxd, and none of you are yet. I haven't had enough followers, so (laughs) come on. Shape up, people. We will probably have to talk about what Letterboxd ends sometime, in case people are interested, but uh, I think that's a movie nerd thing. But we'll leave that again for another time. Uh, I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Source as Guelph with Scotty Hertz. 
In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. You can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we'll see you then. Thank you.